Thank you, Stephanie and team, for leading us. And um, You know, last Sunday I asked you to do something uh, that we don't normally ask you to do in the middle of worship, and that was I just said, you know, would you sit down? And, uh, and just felt as though um, perhaps there was just uh, people that were weary, and, and Scripture says that Jesus was tired, sat down at a well. He needed, thank you, Sam, he needed, um, needed just to be refreshed. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's part of... Part of the, the beauty of being together is that we can take time. We can pray for each other. Right? That's, that's what, what church is meant to be like. That uh, we, we are together in this time that we've set aside. And God wants to do something in us. So I'm not actually preaching this morning. I might wrap things up. It will depend on how, how, uh, how things go. Oops. Sorry, Paul. But... Um, uh, someone is going to come and share today, uh, and I'll introduce her just in a moment. Uh, but I was thinking about perhaps just a lighthearted uh, moment that we can have together. I th- I've read this before, so bear with me if, if this is really familiar to you. Um, if you haven't heard this before, it just talks about the evolution of motherhood. And so this morning, we're continuing just to honor, honor the mothers uh, and the women in our lives, to honor you today and to thank you. But... Motherhood is not always easy. And someone said, if motherhood was easy, then um, it wouldn't begin with something called labor, right? What, what launches you into motherhood is something that we call labor, and it's, it's labor. Um, uh, men, we can't relate on any level at all, right? But, uh, but we've seen our wives um, labor to give birth to our children. Uh, but this just talks about the evolution of motherhood. If you haven't heard it before, just enjoy this. Um, so, picking your baby's name. Your first baby. You pore over baby name books. You practice pronouncing and writing combinations of all your favorites. Second baby. Well, someone has to name their kid after your great, great Aunt Mavis, right? Might as well be you. Third baby. You open a name book, close your eyes, and see where your finger points. Preparing for birth. Your first baby. You practice your breathing religiously. Second baby. You don't bother practicing because you remember that the last time, breathing didn't do a thing. Third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. Uh, there's a number, I'm not going to get through them all. There's one that is category your clothes. I think I'm going to bypass that because I could get myself in big trouble with that one. Okay, worries. Your first baby at the sign, at the first sign of distress, a whimper, a frown. You pick up the baby. Second baby, you pick up the baby when her wails threaten to wake your firstborn. Third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the mechanical swing. A couple more, going out. First baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five times. Second baby, just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. Third baby, You leave instructions for the babysitter to call only if she sees blood. (laughs) And then at home, last category, uh, first baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. Second baby, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure that your older child isn't squeezing or poking or hitting the baby. Third baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. Uh, so this morning, Kim Mays is going to come, 
And she's going to share a few thoughts. And, and this just kind of developed early this week. Um, we were chatting, and, and, um, and as, as Kim was sharing what the Lord had, had just been speaking to her about, I, I thought, you know, Kim, I asked her, I said, Kim, would you, would you uh, mind praying about this as to whether or not this is something that would, would be shared with our church? And, and on Mother's Day, sharing as, as a mom, as a mother of, of six, um, just some thoughts that, that the Lord has laid on Kim's heart. You know Kim well. Uh, if you call the office, she's the first person, first voice you hear most times. And she has served our church in many different ways, um, has a heart for the Lord, has a heart for our church. And uh, so I'm going to invite Kim to come. And if there's any time left over, I'll share. But uh, I just said to Kim, take your time this morning, and um, could you run me that mic up real quick? Thanks, Stephanie. Why don't we welcome Kim as she comes, as she shares some thoughts this morning. Good morning. If you hear the rumble from my mic, it will be from shaking. So, um, My oldest daughter called this morning, still in bed, because her... Her baby, her youngest, is about a week uh, difference in age from Judah, so he's about to turn two, and he had had her up at 3.30 or 4 o'clock this morning, so she was trying to catch that extra little couple of minutes, but didn't want to miss calling before I left this morning, and she got about halfway through the conversation and got pounced on by her almost two-year-old, and we had to cut it short, Um, but... It, it's interesting now on this, um, at this stage in my journey to watch the parenting happen in the next generation. And I think it makes me more aware and more sensitive to um, the, the overwhelming <laughs> responsibility, but how much more we need God in the midst of it. Um, so anyway, the thoughts that that I want to share today started, um, I, th- I think there was an element of it uh, happening for a while, but last Sunday, <clears throat> Muriel got up and shared what God had been impressing on her heart. And God has a pattern in my life of creating pictures. And so as Muriel started to speak, I... I had an image almost immediately form in my mind. And it was about the flood. But it was the image was that I was seeing was a spiritual sense of the flood. And I, I've actually um, got a picture that is as close as I could find to what I was seeing. Now, maybe it's not so clear for you, but on the bottom... Um, below the siding on that building, there's just some blocks that are holding the building. And so the image that I was seeing in my mind was a building like this near a shore, and it was propped up just with blocks under the corners. And the flood was approaching the building, and... There was, it was very evident that there was absolutely nothing that was going to be able to stop that flood. And although it may have survived an immediate sense of danger, if as the flood rose higher, there was nothing that was going to prevent the loss of the, of the building. And I, I, as I was sitting there, I was 
feeling this sense of danger and peril and the building to me represented our young our, our younger generation not just in age but in spirit as well those who are struggling to find direction and faith and I came, I, I started to weep. I was so broken, so overwhelmed by this sense of, of onslaught. And I came and sat on the front pew, and I was just weeping. And Holly came and stood in front of me and put her hands on my arms and just started to rub. And, and I was leaning forward, so my head was against her. And my heart was saying, and she's one of them, Lord. You represented that in my prayer. It was like you were confirming that this is exactly who um, the image represented, was our younger generation, our young in Christ. So I went home very troubled. I thought, you know, the the Spirit normally gives me pictures that create a sense of victory, of celebration, of, of um, overcoming. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what? You, you gave me this sense of impending doom. And I didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't until Wednesday that I really had a chance to sit and to dig into, God, what are you saying in this picture? And Muriel, you referenced Isaiah 59 when you were giving us what God had laid on your heart. So I turned there, and I started to look it up. I started to read what it had to say. And as I, as I asked God to open my heart to what he was speaking, the picture that I was seeing was the idea that those of us who have known the Lord for a long time we have been secure. We have had foundations dug deep into the rock, cemented with truth and shaped by the Spirit. But as time has gone on, we have moved away from the bedrock and closer to the shore. We've survived because we have built with caution and with guidance and we remain on footings that were established in truth. But we have indulged our children. We buy them shoreline property. We toss them a few cinder blocks of truth and encourage them to build. But without support of expert builders and with few tools and cheap materials, no real vision or plan, they begin to build. The blocks may or may not become part of their building. Even if they do, the blocks offer just a small measure of support to the frame. And they may even decide to just toss them aside and build with whatever they want. Their houses go up pretty quickly today. And over time, they add new pieces and additions, and it gets bigger, and it looks better. But the foundation is often ignored until the waters begin to rise. And they always do. 
none of us escapes. And as the waters begin to rise, we watch what is happening around them. The basements flood, the banks erode, the structures are lifted off their foundations and the homes begin to drift. We're filled with fear and we try at that point to jump into action. We buy generators and pumps, we fill and stack sandbags to try to block out the danger. The water continues to seep up from below, the waves crash over the barriers and in exhaustion, we witness our disillusioned kids watch their shelters crumble. There's no insurance. Everything that they have valued, everything in which they have invested has failed. And we see our kids lost. I think you get a picture of where my heart was last Sunday. That's what I was feeling, was this just, just extreme sense of hopelessness. So as I opened Isaiah 59, immediately it starts, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. Right away, the beginning of the chapter, God started to address the hopelessness. He is not. He's not too far from helping. He's always there and always available. So I turned to the verses that talked about God raising a standard. And it's interesting because the King James Version talks about the flood that comes in as being the enemy and the standard raised against them. But the original manuscripts, many of them that um, now predate what was available at the time of the King James Version when it was translated. Uh, They say it a little bit differently. In verse 19, it says, In the West, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the East, they will glorify him, for he will come like a raging flood tide, driven by the breath of the Lord. During the time when the water was continuing to rise, we took Anne for a drive and went um, down along River Road to Castleford and then up to Renfrew. And I said to Rob, would you go down to the side of the river in Renfrew where the swing bridge crosses? And we got down to that point and sat marveling at the sheer power of the water coming through there. It is incredible. The water flows through at that point very, with a very strong current at the best of times. During this time of high water, there would be nothing that could stand in the path of that water. That flow, you can see where it's climbed the banks and it's catching the roots of trees that have somehow managed to dig in and and survive for a while, but those trees were little by little losing their grip, and they were being washed back by the flood. In this portion of scripture, when you read it in the translations that predate the King James, he comes like a raging flood tide, or 
that was that's the new new living translation you read it in the niv and it says he will come like a pent up flood that the breath of god drives along i started to see a very different picture and i think when i spoke with pastor clark on wednesday what i came to the conclusion was that oh the, the danger is real and it may seem at times that there is little we can do, that the tools at our disposal offer very little help and protection to the ones who are struggling, the ones who are clinging to hang on. But God promises he will come like a pent-up flood, and he is going to, driven by his very breath, sweep into the situation and nothing even those things that are rooted and have lasted for years nothing can stand in the flood that he will bring totally in opposition to what the enemy had planned so all of a sudden the hopelessness was totally replaced by absolute confidence my god is able my God holds the victory. Where, where I see risk, God, I mean, I, I don't, it, it tells us in Scripture he sees it, but he would not identify it the same way I would. He sees it completely different. So then I started to think, okay, so you've replaced the picture. So what exactly are you trying to say? You've, you've, you've allowed me to see the threat. You've allowed me to see the fact that we can totally depend on you. What are you saying to me? And so, um, I think if you pull up the, the first slide of images, the, uh, or the clip art images. So, I started to think of what we do to our kids. And moms, we're great advocates for our kids. I think our dads in, in their lives are more their defenders. We're, we're more the advocates. And we try to advocate for everything for our poor kids. And if you talk to young people today, most of them will tell you how totally overwhelmed they are with everything we want to advocate on their behalf. Or some of them, they want and are quite happy for us to involve ourselves in their lives and others they helplessly endure our onslaught and so i started to put images that came to mind and all the different ways that we do our best to try to help and we want them to have enough rest and we want them to be involved in lessons and sports and play and parties and we want to teach them to save and we want them to have jobs and we want them and we want them and we want them and i even threw the bible in there and you might say wait a minute are, are you saying that's a bad thing uh no except the way we do it is pretty bad sometimes because if we toss the bible in there as one of the one of the things that, that we're pressuring and pushing, it's like, okay, you've got, the, you've got to have this, you've got to have this. We confuse our kids to the point where 
they learn not to even value that because they only get partial pictures of truth. They don't, they don't learn the position of scripture that God wants it to be in their lives. So I thought, okay, let's pull the image apart and then we'll go to the next slide. So I believe that the image of the flood that God had showed me and the fact that he will come in and he will pull away all of the things that would pressure our kids, would undermine our kids, take away their, would erode their foundation. All of those things he is capable and he is faithful to um, deal with if we start advocating for the very things that will lay the foundation in the first place. So in this image, I think the very first thing in this scripture says the Redeemer will come to Israel to buy back, or sorry, come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. The very first thing we need to advocate for for our kids is their salvation. Out of everything else in their lives, they need the foundation of salvation and righteousness first. And I know we've gotten to a point in our society where we rely heavily on the church to take care of that. We expect that message to be brought to our kids when we bring them to church. But we've dwindled our time that the church actually spends with our kids down to maybe an hour on Sunday morning. And we're not even always here. So if you think about that, how many weeks in a year? 52. Let's say we're away at least a couple of Sundays. We're down to 50. Or or let's say we're away four Sundays a year, like once every three months. Now we're down to 48 hours, two days. Out of 365 days, we give the church two days. Okay, here, teach my kids. They need to know about salvation. It's your job. Kind of unrealistic, isn't it? And then, as parents, we forget that the bulk of what they learn comes from what they observe. And we lose our salvation the easiest inside the doors of our own home where we forget to hold true to the righteousness and the salvation that God has claimed in our lives. And what they begin to believe disconnect between the truth of scripture and the actual God of, of their soul becomes very distant and we erode the foundation. The second thing that I think our kids need is the spirit. And I'm one of the ones who grew up in a time when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was celebrated to the point of making it um, almost an elitism that 
you had to seek for the baptism and you had to speak in tongues and they're oh good you got it now you've arrived and I think we have a generation who has pulled back from recognizing the purpose and the power of the spirit because we live in fear of of the abuse but without the Holy Spirit in their lives who else identifies the vision that God has for them who else identifies the power that they can walk in without the spirit our kids feel very much on their own we need to come back to teaching them the spirit of truth and the last thing is the word now the the um, let's go to the final slide so this is the new living translation because I appreciate the way that that it is worded here and this is my covenant with them says the Lord my spirit will not leave them and neither will these words I have given them they will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on your children's children forever sorry that's the NIV isn't it no okay it's there um, anyways talking about the fact that the words that God has given us will be on our lips um, the NIV says in your mouth I think that we need to recognize that we can't expect our kids to receive truth unless we've eaten it first and it's interesting that it's in that order isn't it it says when it's on your lips when it's in your mouth the next thing that follows is the fact that it will be on your children's lips you taste you eat you hunger and thirst for the word yourself you apply it and as you do that you have opportunity to feed your kids and they learn and they hunger and they begin to develop a taste for the word I'm not talking about the taste of the word just thrown into the mix I'm talking about the taste of the word that says God what do you have to say for me today in this situation and translate that to the kids say you know what I was struggling with this I didn't know what to do about this and I went to the word and God has God has blessed me with direction they learn what the word tastes like because you've eaten it first and then you feed it to them and what about justice that whole chapter if you read it wow does it ever describe a society in which we live full of lies no one cares about being fair and honest they conceive evil and evil deeds and then give birth to sin uh, they don't know where to find peace there's no justice no one knows about right living when you read through that entire chapter of Isaiah 59 this is the world our kids are starting to try to set out on their own in and it is it's a scary place for them to exist in without the foundation so add the other good things can you go back one slide add the other good things advocate for the things in your life that your kids need but recognize you may have to drop some of those good things off in order to ensure that the core things that develop the foundation are there first
They don't have to have everything as much as we'd like them to have everything. They don't have to have it all, but they have to have the foundation to to live. And I stand here this morning with renewed hope. I, I pray that the covenant that God has stated here, my spirit will not leave them. And neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on your children's lips and on their children's lips forever. May we stand on that truth this morning. May we receive the strength that God has given that he will come like a pent-up flood and the very breath that he breathes is going to stand against the enemy of their souls. Amen. Thank you, Kim. Wasn't that a good word? And um, <clears throat> it's so true that the, uh, I'm not going to preach, don't get worried. It's so true that the, uh, the, the world in which, you know, I'm growing up in, I'm, you know, I'm still growing up, the, our kids are, are, are coming into is very different um, in terms of the foundations that our nation is built on, that society is built on. Do you know that, that the forefathers of confederation, when Canada was being formed, uh, they, they decided we, we need a scripture verse to be built into um, our parliament buildings. And so if you go to the Peace Tower, do you know what verse you will see there? That, that the founders of our nation said, we are founding a nation, and there's a foundation that we need to build on as a nation. And they chose this verse, Psalm uh, 72, verse 8. Talking of God, may he have dominion from sea to sea. May, may we be under God's authority and under his rule and his blessing as a nation. And from the river to the ends of the earth. And, and so when this nation was being founded, that foundation was built into the heart of our forefathers. And, and so our children are living in, in our nation in a, in a season in which that is just no longer the case. That people are building on very different foundations but we can trust and know that God is able to keep um, righteousness in, in our lives in, in spite of the fact that our nation is no longer building on that foundation of God's, God's way, God's blessing, seeking where God would take us and, and what he would have to say to us. It's just our current leadership for years now, people that lead our nation no longer say this is our foundation. The foundations are very different that they build on. And I think that we just begin to see the results of that. And so mothers, um, know that you have an influence, whether your children are grown or whether um, they're still young in your home. As a grandmother, perhaps you don't have children, but there's people in your life, there's children in your life that you can, you can just become a blessing to and help them to understand what foundation am I going to build my life on? I'm just going to ask if the ushers would, would bring the children in. We do that, and, and we're going we're gonna to pray. And then, and then we want to just give you a flower. We, we do this um, every year, just send the, the mothers. And actually, all of the women here this morning, we want to, take you, uh, to send you away with a flower. Just, a, just an idea, in light of what Kim has shared, and, and Kim shared this thought with me before, uh, just before the service. If you, as a mother, 
today or as a woman today, if you decide, you know, I'd like to give my flower to a child before I go, uh, just as a, as a statement to them that I believe in them, I believe that God has good things for their lives. I believe that as, as, as they build on the foundation of God in their lives, that there is a bright future for them. Perhaps uh, as a mother or a grandmother today, you want to find a child before you go and you want to give them that and just say, you know, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. There is a good future for your life as you continue to trust God for your life. And so we'll let you choose. Uh, take your flower home. Uh, if you'd like it to give it to, um, to a child this morning before you go, we'll just leave that up to you. Um, but our kids are coming in, and, and I need about four men to help me to hand out, uh, get the flowers to the kids so we can get the flowers to the moms. So um, who can help me? Meet me at the front.